Turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, the first chapter. Remember Christ in you. Next Sunday will be the last message in this series. And then Brother Michael will start. Brother Michael, stand up so they can put a face with the, with the Bible study. And then he'll start the book of Ephesians on Wednesday nights. You don't want to miss it. He's been teaching it to us in the men's group. We've been critiquing him and raking him over the coals. Not too much. And, and, uh, and it's good. He's a good teacher, and he's done his work, and so you want to come out on Wednesday nights. We have fun here on Wednesday nights. Come on out. It's short. The service lasts about an hour, hour and 15 minutes, the total thing, and you will enjoy it in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time. I pray a blessing upon your word, Lord God, upon each heart and each life, each one who hears the powerful word of God, the Holy Scripture, as it's read and taught, and I pray your anointing on me as I present it. That we can leave here changed and touched by the power of that word. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, amen, amen, amen. amen. Series, Christ in you. In this series, we've seen that believers in Christ, believers in Christ, believers in Christ have Christ in them. Non-believers in Christ do not have Christ in them. And there are certain blessings that we've gone over for the last few weeks that belong to believers and believers only. Non-believers don't have all these blessings. It, it's just a fact that as a believer, when Christ is in you, that you enjoy certain things that non-believers don't enjoy. Remember that we went over that, that unless you have, even as a, a believer, even as a Christian, that unless you have a revelation of who you are in Christ, with Christ in you, Unless you have a revelation of that, you'll never reach your full potential. You'll never fulfill completely the call and the purpose that God has on your life. But with Christ in you and with a revelation of Christ in you and what that means to have Christ in you, then you can become, as the Apostle Paul who wrote this scripture, you could become an apostle, which means someone who is reaching out and going out with the message and planting things for God, whether it's in the workplace, in the neighborhood, in your family. You don't necessarily have to go to Europe or to Mexico or to whatever. You can be an apostle right here with that, that part of that call, okay? It brings certain privilege that non-believers don't have as your will and your identity is changed into that of Jesus Christ, your Savior. Last week, as we, we, we continued in the series, we unpacked three relational, three personal blessings from the Father who through the Son, who Christ in you, we receive as believers. First of all, we went over that you are chosen. Remember that? You are chosen. It says it right here in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And we went over that, that this word chosen here in the verse right after says, and having predestined us to adoption. That doesn't mean that we believe as believers in Christ in predestination. It doesn't mean predestination. We, we, we don't believe in predestination. Uh, from, from that comes the doctrine of, of, of the chosen ones or the predestination doctrine or the elect or the limited atonement of God. And that's just not true. Because why send his son Jesus to hang on a cross and to go through all of that torture and all of that and die on the cross if we are already predestined to something? Then we're just a bunch of robots. Remember, we went over what D.L. Moody said about John 3.16 in the King James. 
For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever, whosoever, whosoever will receive him, whosoever will receive him will not be condemned, will not go to hell, but will spend eternity in heaven, okay? So, listen carefully. He said, whosoever, the whosoever's are the ones who are the elect. The ones who choose Jesus Christ as their Savior, they're the elect. They're the chosen. You chose, okay? This particular passage just means that you were chosen to go on in that phrase to be holy and without blame. Okay, so we went over that. We do not believe in predestination. But we went on to say that you were adopted into full sonship. We read that last week, having predestined you to adoption. When you choose, you're adopted into sonship or daughtership with God, with all those rights and all of those privileges. And then lastly, we went over that you are accepted, that you are received, you are accepted just as Jesus is accepted by the Father. And we went over, remember, Jesus saying, Father, Father, receive or accept Marshall just as you receive me. Father, receive Daniel just as you receive me. And so you walk in that when Christ is in you. Now today, now what all of those shout, and we went over it last week, they shout to the entire world, I am wanted and I'm loved, okay? Through Christ Jesus on that cross, we have all of those things. Now today, what I want to go over is probably the biggest and most important blessing that you have in Christ. When Christ is in you, this is probably the biggest thing. I don't know why Paul put it here. If, if, if when I meet him one day, I'm going to say, why didn't you put that at the end of this passage? And it had been easier for me to preach because really I wish I had ended on this next week. But, but this is the biggest thing. This is the basis of all Christian theology. It is the basis of all Christian doctrine. It is the reason that Jesus went to the cross it shuts the door to hell and it swings wide. It busts loose the door to heaven to all of us. For those who believe in him and call on his name, they have the right to be called sons and daughters of God. This is called redemption. Redemption. This is a one-point message today. Redemption. We have redemption in Christ Jesus. And it has a result. The redemption causes something. It brings something with it. It has luggage with it. Let's look a little bit closer as we read. We're going to read just very simply two verses. We went over the other part in two weeks. Now verse 7. Listen, listen carefully. In him, your Bible should have a capital H on him. Yes, you're looking up at the screens. In him, in him, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. In him, Christ in you, you have redemption. Now, I know a lot of people who have been Christians for a long, long time and do not have a handle on the whole idea of redemption. They don't have a revelation of what that means and the power that brings. They don't, they don't understand what that, how that applies to you in your life and how it can get you to a place you want to go and take you out of things. and just It's the whole ball of wax, church. 
Redemption is what it's all about. What does this mean? If I would go up to someone today and say, what, what does redemption mean to you? It, it would be a whole uh, a smorgasbord of, of different answers. Well, let me start by sharing with you so, so I can kind of educate you all. That, that first of all, there's like six meanings of the word, and I picked three of them that applied in this passage right here. And you might hear Brother Michael go over them again in a few weeks. But, but the reality is if it means, first of all, to be bought at the marketplace. The word redemption, when you look at the Bible, has the connotation of buying something at the marketplace. Okay? That's one of the meanings of it. Like a lady would go in and she would buy vegetables or fruit or something like that at a, at, at a stand or in a market. And she pays for them, okay? But she puts them in the basket, right? And you go on about your shopping. But you pay for them. They're in your basket and she's going to use them at a later date. Remember that phrase, to be used at a later date. Well, you know you're going to take them home and you're going to cook them or whatever. But you pay. And that meaning is just to... Buy it so that you own it and you can walk out without the security guards getting you, okay? Her only thought is to buy it and to take it out of the grocery store. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, You are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and spirit, which are God's. You are bought with a price, just like the lady in the grocery store. God bought you with a price, okay? So when you give your life to Jesus Christ... When you become a believer in Jesus Christ, you no longer own yourself. You are no longer in control. You are no longer, you are in the basket of God. Because on the cross and the blood and the torture, you were bought redemption. The second meaning is to be bought, now listen carefully, to be bought out of the marketplace. It, it grows. You've got to understand these guys. They, they were so brilliant. It was the Holy Spirit, actually. It wasn't them. But not only bought, but secondly, to be bought out of the marketplace. Meaning to buy, but to take out for your personal use. But this word has the connotation here of to never be resold. In other words, she's buying those groceries, she's putting them in her basket, and she's buying them out of the marketplace, but here's the, here's the icing on the cake, for her to use, not to bring to a fruit stand for her to sell, but for her use. Now, I'm going somewhere with this, hang in there with me. You were bought with a price, and you were taken out of the store for personal use of God. Not to be resold, not to go back from where you came from, never to be given up on, never to be sold. Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us, redemption has redeemed us from the curse of the law, never to go back to the curse of the law. We are redeemed by Christ, never to be exposed, never to be thrown back. You're off the market. You're not on eBay again. You're not going back on the block, okay? We belong to him. Let me give you all an example. When I was growing up, how many of you are old enough to remember S&H green stamps? Hey, quite a few of y'all. All right, that's good. Mama would shop at A&P or National Food Store. How many remember A&P and National Food Stores? And they had S&H green stamps. And they'd give you those little books, and you would, we'd go home, and we're three boys, and we would... Man, we wet our tongues, and we were putting those stamps in that book, and we'd get so many books. Which they did that for us, and they gave us those books, okay? My brother and I got 
each a 22 rifle, my first gun ever, my first rifle, old bolt action uh, uh, 22 rifles, and we got them both at the SNH Green Stamp store. You remember that story right there on Johnson Street in Lafayette where the old bowling alley is? There's now a big glass bank building there, right? June's laughing. She must have gone to it, right? You went to it. Do what? She has a lamp from it. Today? She's still, it's in our house. I didn't know that. You got to show it to me. Okay. And I'll never forget, and I forget how many books it was. It wasn't, well, it was for the rifles, it was. I mean, like 10, 15 books or something like that. I, I forget exactly, but it was a few of them. And I remember going in there when it was my turn. My brother was older. He got his first, and I got mine. So we saved for his, and we saved for mine. And we went in there, and you went, and it, it was pretty sparse in there. Y'all remember, it wasn't like Academy, you know, or it wasn't like going into Walmart. But it was, I mean, for the 60s, well, that was actually in the late 50s, it was, it was really nice. You know, I mean, we looked, and here was this stuff, and man, there was that rifle. And I just, and I wanted that rifle. And I went in, and I knew I didn't have the money, but I knew that I could use my redemption stamps not only to buy it, not only to take it out of the S&H Green Stamp store, but to never sell again. June still has a lamp in our house. Someone stole my 22 rifle. <laughs> it's true. It's true, man. It was the coolest old, just little old rifle. It's about that long. Little bolt action, single shot, 22 rifle. Okay, the third meaning is the most important. To be bought at that market in order to be set free. Come on, guys. To liberate by paying a ransom in order to set someone free. Luke 21, 28. And when these things come to pass, then look up and lift up your head for your redemption. Now that word there translates to your freedom. Look up for your freedom draws near. Come on. Look up, because your freedom draws near. You do not have to live in sin's grip. You do not have to be a slave to sin. You do not have to be in bondage to sin. Look up, for your freedom draws nigh, draws near. And His name is Jesus Christ. And He hung on that cross so you could be free. And all you need, church, is a revelation of who you are when Christ is is in you. It's not rocket science. In these days in the Old Testament, I've shared with you a number of times what they would do, what they would do, and, and when I think about this, it breaks my heart. How many of y'all saw the movie 12 Years a Slave? Did you see that movie? Where there's about four, five, or six of us. I saw it. I don't even remember what it was rated. Check and make sure you don't want your kids seeing. I, I do remember there is some nudity and all, so be careful. But I wanted to see it on purpose because one day we were in an antique store and I saw the book up. I'd never heard of it before. And I saw the book and it was like $4 for the book. And I picked up the book and I started reading it and it just grabbed my attention so much. And then a movie came out and I said, June, we've got to see it. I said, I, I know it, whatever it was rated, please forgive me, but I have to go see this movie. And they showed a scene in that movie. Now, now it confuses me and, and startles me and throws me that, that 
people would think that they can own other people to begin with. And the idea of slavery just upsets me. But in that movie, they showed a scene where he was literally on a, a block of wood. Remember that, Brother Daniel? And there was a lady, there was a young girl next to him. And they would literally strip these poor people and make them turn as vulgar, lustful, evil-possessed people would sit and bid on these people. And if someone would buy them from that slave block, literally they would have stumps of trees and they would cut them flat and they would make them stand up on that. That's where the word redemption comes from. And we have all been freed and bought and freed from that block. Listen to what John MacArthur says. He's a, a pastor in California. He says, Every human being born since the fall has come into the world enslaved to sin under total bondage to a nature that is corrupt, evil, and separated from its creator. No person is spiritually free. No human being is free of sin or free of its consequence. The ultimate consequence or penalty of which is death. Of course, that's Romans 3.23. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, Everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. And Paul said, there is none righteous, not even one, Romans 3.10. Sin is man's captor and slave owner, and it demands a price for our release. Death is the price that has to be paid for man's redemption from sin. Death, Jesus, Christ in you, who hung on that cross so that you could be set free. In the great theologian Deisman, in his book, Light from the Ancient East, he shows the standard. He actually quotes the, the, the bill or the, the, the receipt for when you would buy someone. Listen to this. This is what they would say. They would say, let's just use me as an example. I, Pastor Marshall, pay to the Pythian Apollo the sum of 50. I'm just going to pick 50 minas for the slave June on the condition that she be set free. Well, Jesus did the same thing for us. He said, Jesus pays to the devil. Jesus pays to sin's grip, to the slavery of sin, the sum of his life on the cross for, put your name in there, on the condition that he or she will be set free Forever, Matthew 20, 28, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19, it was not with per perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Basically, we were all slaves in bondage to sin. Now, I want you to picture with me for a second a hostage scene, a prison scene, a prisoner of war scene, if you would. A poor person who is so beaten down, so starved, so taunted, so tortured, so physically and mentally and spiritually uh, oppressed. And they become so weak that they can't run, so tired and so discouraged that every, every hope, every Every uh, thing that could possibly they could put their heart on and their hopes on is dashed. 
Picture that for a second where there's no hope. I had a friend on, on the railroad. His name was Herbert Lonclaw. He passed away a number of years ago. And he used to tell us stories about World War II. Not much because he didn't like to talk about it. But he was in the Bataan Death March at the beginning of World War II. Have you all ever heard of that? Raise your hand if you've heard of the Bataan Death March. He was 17 years old at the beginning of the war. He snuck in at 17 years old. The Japanese overtook them on the island of Bataan. They came in and they overtook them and they ended up because they were so starved and they had no ammunition, none, zero, and no food and they were starving to death and they surrendered. There were a few thousand of them, most of them young men. Herbert was 17 and he said the only way he, reason he survived was because he was 17 and strong. And they marched them, I want to say 30 miles, 30, 35 miles marching, which we say, well, that's not that long a march, but it was a hundred and something degrees with mosquitoes and malaria, and they were half dead when they captured them. So they were toothpicks to begin with. As they would fall out, the Japanese would spear them. He told us this. They would, they would bayonet them, or they would just shoot them. As they would walk in, they would hear f shots being fired in the back or screaming and hollering in the back, and they marched them. They marched them across that island to get on a ship. When they got to the ship, the I forget how many thousands they were. It had dwindled down to like half of them. About half of them had died in the 30-something mile march. They threw them in a ship, in the hole of a ship, and they went across the ocean. As they were going across the ocean, it got cold. It got, I mean, the waves, it was horrible. It, it, was, it was so terrible, I'm not going to tell you what they were drinking to try to survive in the hole of that ship. When they got to Japan, they brought them to a camp called Camp McDonald. I don't know why it had an English name, or McConnell or McDonald. He was 17 years old. He stayed in that prisoner of war camp for the entire length of World War II, the whole war. And he said, this is a quote, he said, every morning they would wake us up and they would make us go and stand in line and they would tell us, the guy who could speak English would tell us, you will never see your families, your home, your country, or anything again. Because even if we lose this war, before they come to release you, we will slaughter every one of you. Now you imagine hearing that, living in those conditions, and hearing that every day for four to four and a half years. How down you would be, and how discouraged you would be, and what your morale would be like. This is a perfect picture of us when we are captured by sin in our life, church. Then, then, the greatest moral transaction ever made. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, hangs on a cross. His blood for your freedom from your sin. And to quote my hero, Martin Luther King, free at last, free at last, good God Almighty, free at last. Come on, church. That's shouting news. Because of Jesus Christ, free at last, free at last, good God Almighty, free at last. I remember Herbert telling us about the day that they heard rumors that the U.S. Army was coming and that they were going to be released possibly 
And their first inclination was, we're going to all be slaughtered maybe tomorrow. But with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and with your, with your uh, uh, champion, the one who's going to release you, living in you, you don't have to worry about being slaughtered because he has already defeated the enemy. All you have to do is have a revelation of that redemption. Now, what is the result of that redemption? The result is real. This is a one-point message. You can put redemption, dot, 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 forgiveness of sin. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. The word forgiveness does not mean what we normally think, this ooey-gooey thing of crying and saying, oh, I'll forgive you and I'll thank you. You forgive me and I'll, everything's good. No, okay, well, let's go drink a beer. That's not what it means. The word forgiveness means to put off, to put away. I have taken what you owe. I have taken what should be paid. I have taken the penalty that you should pay and I have put it away from you. I have taken it, opened a drawer, and put it in the drawer. I shared this story with you all before. One time, it was cold in the winter. I was on a locomotive in Lake Charles backing out of the siding, and there was a freight train coming down the main line. I had my big hood over because it was so cold way up there with the wind blowing, and I didn't look back, and when I didn't look back, and I, I thought I looked at the lineup of trains, and there was no trains coming, and I backed up, and I backed up right into a moving freight train. Today, they probably put you in prison for that. And I mean, I was just, and that thing was moving, just coming. It wasn't coming fast. It was just barely going over Shattuck Street, and, and I backed into it, and it started climbing the sides, those walkways you see on locomotives, it started climbing, and the wheels on, my, on the opposite side, I was on this side, were about that high off the ground, I was about to flip over, it probably killed me, of course they shot it, put it in emergency, and we all stopped, and there was my locomotive this high, and there's the freight train, the engines on the freight train right next to me, and I said, well, I'm unemployed, and Pappy Landry, who was a road foreman of engines, came in, I mean, it was a big deal. And, um, and, and it was just the dumbest thing I think I'd ever done on the railroad and because uh, I was cold. And, uh, and he came in and he asked me what happened. Of course, the best policy is honesty. And he asked me what happened. And I said, I, I'm wrong. I said, I, I should have been looking back. I wasn't looking back. And I said, that's all there is to it. The guys in the roundhouse came out, and they said, look, we're going to try to put this back with no damage, no nothing. We'll hold it up so it doesn't just hit too hard on the rail and break some rail and all that stuff or crack a wheel. And they did that for me. And I told him, I said, uh, I said, Pappy, I said, I, I'm wrong. Whatever I get, I get. I said, just, just ask him to not fire me for too long if possible. <laughs> and he said, okay. I said, by the way, there's no need to have an investigation. They were expensive, and, they, and they, it was a big pain to have them and all that stuff with the union and all that. I said, don't even bother that. I said, it's waste my time, y'all's money. Don't, don't want it. Okay. And there was a time limit at the railroad farm to charge you. That time limit ran out. It was like 30 or 60 days later, and I saw him in Lake Charles. I said, Pappy, I said, when am I getting my papers? I thought I was going to hit the street. He says, well, you know, Marshall, he says, you've always told me the truth. He said, we didn't have to have an investigation. We didn't have to do any of that. Now listen. He said, 
I have a drawer on the side of my desk. He said, I put charge letters like that in there. Forgiven. Could have cost me months of work. I'd have eventually gotten back with the union, but I mean, it was months of work probably. It was put in that drawer. Okay, church, I sold you that so you could understand. Imagine a piece of paper with your name on it, and it's a charge letter for you, not from the railroad, but there's a charge letter right here with all of your horrible, ugly sins. And don't think yours aren't that horrible, because if you told a lie, you're just as bad as a guy who's robbed a bank. Okay, and there's the charge letter right there. And all of a sudden, Jesus takes it like Pappy Landry did, and he puts it in that special drawer for those who have Christ in them. That's what forgiveness means. How many of you know what Yom Kippur is? Yom Kippur, the day of atonement in the Jewish nation. They still have it today. In Old Testament days, what they would do is get two goats. They would take one goat and they would slaughter that goat and they would take that goat to the altar and pour the blood of that goat at the altar for the atonement of sin, for the forgiveness of sin. They would take the other goat and the high priest would take that goat and he would lay his hands and he would say his prayer. And that prayer was a prayer of what? It was a prayer of atonement. It was a prayer of propitiation, which means the atoning sacrifice. And that spotless lamb, he would put his hands on and then they would take and he would put the sin of all the people on that goat. The other one had been slaughtered for the blood because Hebrews 9 says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And then he would take the other one, put the sins on the head of that goat, and they would take it so far out into the desert in the wilderness that there's no way he could come back, but he had taken that sin of the people out into the desert. That is a perfect picture of forgiveness. Psalm 103, how many, we, we always say it all the time, and he who... He who heals all our diseases. But look what it says in verse 12. As far as the east is from the west. You know how far that is? That's forever. As far as the east is from the west, so has he removed our transgressions from us. When you believe in Jesus Christ, a great exchange, the greatest exchange has ever happened in the history of mankind takes place. Jesus Christ, on his account takes, that's called imputed, to put on his account. He takes on his account, on his account, our sins on the cross and gives to us. He imputes to us, puts on our account, his righteousness when he is in us at salvation. Have you ever, ever had someone forgive you of a sin in your life? Have you? Have you ever asked someone for forgiveness? Raise your hand if you have. Every one of us should. Especially all of us who are married. <laughs> have you ever been forgiven? Truly forgiven? What, what, what does that make you feel like? Oh, the weights come off of your shoulder. Have you ever asked someone to forgive you? Or have someone asked you to forgive them? And that wasn't there? What did that make you feel like? Didn't it make you feel awful? You're still walking around with that weight all your life. That's why it's so important for you to forgive them. Whether they forgive you or not, doesn't matter. If you forgive them, it's so important. Jesus came and hung on a cross so we could be forgiven. That settles it. It's that simple. 
and you've got to receive that. Now, three things to remember about redemption. It's undeserved, Romans 5, 8, and yet we were still sinners. We didn't deserve this. It's free, Ephesians 2, 8. By grace, through faith. Grace means undeserved. It's free. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough for it. And it's comprehensive. It covers all. Wow. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough. You can't buy it. You can't pay enough for it. And you can't disqualify yourself. It's all incomprehensive. You can't be bad enough not to get it. Yeah, but he, he murdered some people. So did Paul, the man who wrote this. So did you when you got mad enough to knock the, their block off their head. Jesus said you murdered them in your heart. Oh, well, he, he's, he's a womanizer. Or, or she's a man or whatever you call a woman who does that. <laughs> well, hey, I got news for every one of us in here. So are you. So are we. And Jesus hung on that cross for that. Not for you to work for it, but for you to love him. It's a product of a love relationship. A love relationship. You love him, so you want to follow him. You love him, so you want to serve him. You love him, and you appreciate what he did on the cross, so you want to be better. You want to live a holy life. You want to change. Are you going to be perfect? No, but you want to because you want to please him. Amen. Listen to this true story. In the South, again, dealing with slavery, uh, uh, and, and that does shame me. Uh, I mean, I didn't do it, but it's, it's just it's horrible to think of that as beautiful young girl was up on that slave block and, and listen to this story there was a cruel guy who was who everyone knew was hard on his people and 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 he on his slaves and he would he would he would beat them and torture them and, and and force them to do things that were wrong and and he was bidding on this beautiful young girl but every time this man would bid there was a man in the corner who was bidding and he would bid this much and the man would bid him bid higher and finally the good man uh, bought her, won, won the, the bidding for her. And, and she was so excited because she would cringe every time this cruel man would bid. And he turned around and he was walking out of the auction room and she started to follow him. And he turned, and this is a quote, he said, you don't understand, you misunderstand me. He said, I didn't buy you because I needed a slave. I bought you to set you free. And she fell on her knees and this is what she said. I will serve you all the days of my life. How many of you are familiar with the story of Hosea in the Bible? I'm going to end in this story. God tells Hosea, this, this isn't a hearsay. Go, go in your Bible. <laughs> it really happened. This really, it's in there. There's a man named Hosea, H-O-S-E-A. And God said, I want you to go marry this girl. And he said, oh, God, she's absolutely gorgeous. Oh, she's a knockout. You want me to go marry her? Yeah, I want you to go marry her. And she's got a prosperous business. <laughs> the only problem is, is that the business is prostitution. He said, I want you to go marry Gomer. That was her name. B 
beautiful young lady, but she's a prostitute. He said, oh, Lord, God, come on. You want me to go marry a prostitute? Yeah, I want you to go marry her. And Hosea, she's going to go out on you. She's going to continue her business. But I want you to love her. Sure enough, he goes, he obeys God because he's a man of God, and he marries her. She goes out on him and even gets her particular little boyfriend, if you would. That's all how I'm going to put it. And she ends up leaving Hosea and goes and lives with this young guy, this young cat who's all spiffy. And because of their lifestyle, they down spiral. And they lose everything and they're about to starve to death. And God says, Hosea, I want you to go to their house and knock on the door. Go knock on the door of my wife who's a prostitute who's living with another guy. He says, yeah, I want you to go and I want you to bring them some food and some money. He said, come on, God. He said, Hosea, you just obey me. And so Hosea goes and knocks on their door and gives them food and gives them money. Can you imagine their face when Hosea knocks on the door and comes to bring? Come on, guys. I'm talking about redemption now. Well, they went through that real, real, real quick. And they kept spiraling down. In those days, you end up, ended up, if you were too much in debt, they would sell you on the slave block because of your debt. And she ends up on the slave block about to be sold. And God says, Hosea... Go buy her back. He says, come on, God, all my friends, the whole town's in there. They're going to be seeing me. And Hosea says, finally, okay, Lord, I'll do it. And he goes to the auction to buy back his wife, the prostitute, who was with another young man. And he bids on his wife. takes her back home and he tells her some of the most touching and powerful words he said and you will be not as a harlot from now on and I will remain with you now church God tells that story because he says in that, in that chapter in that book of Hosea he says Israel is Gomer, the prostitute. And I have provided a way through Hosea, through the redemption of my son, Jesus Christ, for you to come back. Now listen, y'all don't get mad at me. Get the car keys real quick, but I'm going to look at y'all. We're Gomer. And God sent Jesus Christ in you to take you off of that slave block and say, yeah, every one of us has prostituted God. And it's time for us to walk in the redemption in Christ Jesus. If you would.